Alex, you're on Facebook, aren't you? I have a Facebook account, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good start. Um, you know who else is on Facebook? Uh, about a billion people, maybe more. Uh, and if you, dear listener, are one of those billion people, I should hope that you will like our Facebook page. It is uh, CJN Podcasts, uh, and you can find all the latest updates for our podcast uh, news. A few weeks ago, the CJN was at uh, an Israel Day event, and we were asking passersby to like our page on Facebook. And in exchange, we were going to give them uh, some tickets that were provided to us courtesy of TO Live. They gave us some tickets to a concert by Yun Son Na, uh, and we would just like to thank them for those tickets. And we would like to thank everybody who liked our page to enter a raffle to win those tickets. Congratulations to the three of you, uh, Michelle, Myra, and Roz. Hope you enjoyed the show, and thanks for liking on, on Facebook. And to anyone else, hope you like us as well. I hope you're listening now, Michelle, Myra, and Roz. Yeah, I hope you subscribed as well. I hope we can compare to the concert. I can scat. <laughs> well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Canadian Jewish Moves. My name is Michael Freeman. I'm Alex Rose. We've got a couple things to talk about today. First off, we're going to be discussing the controversy surrounding the Canadian federal election falling on Shmini Atzeret. And after that, we're going to be asking, do Jews really need to worry about random dudes waving Palestinian flags in Toronto Jewish area parks? Ugh, you can hear, you can hear my answer already. But before we get to that, um, as we said, we're going to talk about the election controversy, and here discussing it with us is our summer intern, Ben Barak. How's it going? Thanks for having me. So before we get too into the weeds on this, I think we'll need to just quickly explain to those who don't know uh, what's going on. This year, uh, the federal election falls on October 21st. It's always the third uh, Monday in October, uh, the Canadian federal election. This year, it happens to coincide with a Jewish holiday, which is not very well known called Shmini Atzeret. Uh, it's sort of the eighth day of Sukkot, and if you're Orthodox, you celebrate it. If you're not, let's be real, you probably haven't heard of it. Um, but you've heard of it now. M- many people have heard of it now because of this conflict, which is coming to a head in uh, court. The fact that the election is happening on Shmini Atzeret is tricky for Orthodox Jews for two reasons. Ben, can you kind of outline the two different problems that people have with this it's it, it works either for people campaigning or for people voting so uh people who actually took the chief electoral officer to court uh one of them is running for the constituency of Eddington lawrence and she's arguing that she can't campaign on that day she can't argue anyone she can't get anyone else to go and campaign and knock on doors for her and then of course there's the people voting and and they're saying that that's that constitutes about 75,000 orthodox Jews around the country who um are not able to vote on that day and can't you know you some people uh the argument goes that they they take until the last day to 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 make the decision so it, it infringes on the rights of a lot of people and just yesterday as of our recording uh the court sided in favor of the orthodox jewish uh, mm-hmm. uh applicants yes. uh they said that uh the chief electoral officer for elections canada did not consider well enough whether or not he should actually move it and in some of the emails that it has in the court application you can see it, it it's evidence that he didn't really take this concern seriously. Yeah, so, so basically he refused at first, and now they, they took him to court, and now he's, he has to go and reconsider it again, so he can choose to either either say, no, I made my decision, that's what it is, or he can he can choose to you know uh, change that up, and then it goes over to cabinet, and they make the ultimate call on 
whether or not that date gets changed. And they're they're lobbying for it to get changed to a week later, which would be October 28th. I don't even know if this is something we have a satisfying answer to, but let's say he comes back and says, I've still decided not to change it. How do we know that he actually considered it? <laughs> is there a way to know I'm that? I'm not sure. I don't think there's a way. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> there's absolutely no way to know. It, I, I, he could literally just wait an hour, roll his eyes, and then say, I've made my decision. I thought it over very <laughs> yeah, carefully. Yeah. This is my decision. I, wait well, all the well, I mean, the other thing is, is that the final deadline to actually change it is August 1st. So if he goes ahead and does that, it's not necessarily enough time for anyone to go ahead and appeal it again because he's only got about a week to do that. So he said that he's going to try and do that as soon as possible, but still it doesn't give room for anyone to, to argue against them again. Right. So, so Ben, you went out this morning. Uh, where, where were you this morning? I was at uh, Bathurst Lawrence. Bathurst so, and Lawrence. Yeah, the heart of that uh, community. The heart of that very Jewish community. Yes. Uh, not too far from our office here in Toronto. And uh, I, I was trying not to racial profile too much. Well, we're the Canadian Jewish Jews. <laughs> we gotta, <laughs> you know your audience. And so you uh, you went to a very Jewish community nearby, and you were chatting with people about what they think. So so what were the overall impressions that people gave to you about this case? Yeah, so it was really interesting. I tried to get a variety of people, and it, it was funny because some people actually didn't even know, they weren't very updated on what was going on, so I had to explain it to them. But most did, and I, I would say that the general um, consensus was that most were very happy. Uh, it's a step forward, and, and why wouldn't you? Why would you be opposed to it? I mean, it's whether you're Orthodox or not, it, it affects uh, your religion and people who, who you associate with. Um, but I think that some of the big takeaways were like people wondered about the the greater implications of such a decision. And for example, uh, the fact on whether or not it can open a can of worms mm-hmm. for for future future um, elections and people wanting accommodation. Yeah. So so why don't we take a listen to, to some of the conversations you had this morning right now? Okay. So the problem is if we start pressing this issue, then it leaves the door open for every Muslim, Hindu, you know, uh, Wiccan person to want to have their dates um, considered for election dates. I think that this is a one-off. If it were happening every year, yeah, we've got to do something about it. But this year, you know, just make sure that we can find dates for uh, early voting. I know that two of them, I think at least, are falling on Rosh Hashanah or, or other holidays, but I think there's one viable date. You know what? If they go in our favor, fine. I think it does open up a door to, to accommodate everybody. Um, and if they don't, just provide an alternative date where we can manage it without, you know, conflicting with our values and, and laws. If you carry the decision a long ways and you apply it to other religions, I suppose you could start seeing this happen in a lot of other ways not contemplated right now. But I think the Jewish community for itself would be very supportive of this decision. What do you mean by that, by other ways not contemplated? Well, in other words, um, if, if, if this should conflict with a, a Muslim holiday, for example, wouldn't they should be entitled to the same rights as we are. So you mean like opening a can of worms kind of thing? That's, that's potentially, I mean, you could see that happen. So what I noticed about those two uh, comments, which are kind of similar, is first off, the first thing that comes to their minds, no judgment, was Muslim, the, the comparison against Muslim people, which I find very interesting. It, it, it's actually, I think, uh, a very sensitive subject in a positive way, right? It's saying, hey, if you're going to do this to us, you've also got to do it to them. It almost recalls the um, 
if you want to look at this in an optimistic way, which one could, it almost recalls uh, the thing that's going on in Quebec right now with the secularism bill, right? Mm. Where headscarves and kippahs are uniting. To exist as religious people in Canadian society. That's right. So um, so there is some unity there. Is that is that too optimistic a read of that? No, I think I think it's fine. I mean, one can one can hope that that's what that's what they meant. But you know, I mean, like maybe maybe Muslims was the first thing that came through their mind. But I think ultimately it's just the the greater uh, idea of you know how strict are they going to be with accommodations in the future. And I it's it's funny because I actually had one guy who um, said something along the lines of like even like people with like smaller religions or smaller groups that like aren't very known and like what if they're going to come forward in the future and be like yeah like you know i mean the jews got theirs changed like why can't we get why can we get ours for this and this holiday that you know some of you may never have heard of presumably the answer is because there are thresholds and maybe you need i don't know a minimum of a thousand people or something subscribing to your religion i mean that's what i was thinking about but should there be thresholds or should it just be like individual rights where you know if it's a real religion with real limits on it or i don't know if limits is the right word but real rules that you have to follow then then why is it that these seventy-five thousand people are do their rights if, if we think if we are saying it is a right to vote on a certain day and not have to vote in uh primaries or something and, and you know why can you deny it to 750 people if you can't deny it to 75,000 people yeah and why stop even at a religion i mean someone i spoke to actually used the word enterprises so it's not religions or groups, just enterprises of people who come forward with, with uh, specific you know requests of special accommodation. So, so on the whole, do people support the court's decision to side with the the applicants? Yeah, yeah, I think that on the whole, the the general consensus I got is that they do. And and like I said before, whether you're orthodox or not, I mean it's a step forward showing that, um, you know. Uh, Jews are getting the accommodation they need, and it, I think it's just a matter of respect that it's it's people that came forward saying this bothers us, and and it was just a, a, more of an acknowledgement I think that people are happy about. I'm very pleased that they finally did that. Yeah, it's great. They should know that you know it's not always for other minorities that they have to rule, and always the. It's wonderful that they finally did something. Uh, they listened to something that the Jewish community needs something as well. How do, you, how do you think it affects the Jewish community? Do you think it's good, or are there any disadvantages? To I, I don't know if, it, if you can rate it as good or bad, but it's just to recognize that we also have something to do with the community. It's not, you know, basically Jews are always known to be passive. They go along, things of that sort. Now that they, somebody got up to say it, to say something, it's good that they know that we're still around and we're not going to follow like sheep before I guess that's like the other takeaway of, of some of the conversations that I had is some people were wondering, you know, should Jews kind of lay low and, and relax with, with wanting special accommodations? So they, because some of them, someone even mentioned, like, what if it sparks anti-Semitism in the future and things like that. In terms of what, if, what our community should be doing, I'm always worried about these things. I'm always worried about um, the Jewish community. I, I, just because of, of histor historical anti-Semitism, my personal attitude is always just lie low as much as you can. The more public uh, a face we make, the more concerning threats of anti-Semitism become. That's, that's what I would say. The lie low comment was interesting to me because, um, especially contrasted with the guy before, because, you know, being relatively young, I haven't known the Canadian Jewish community to be quiet, so I, I don't necessarily see it as something that we need to take pride in that we're willing to to be loud this time because it seems like we're often willing to stand up for 
for what we believe in and for ourselves. And the lie low one is interesting because one, I'm, I'm not sure how much anti-Semitism will be brought upon us for standing up for something that, you know, is um, one of our rights. And, and that's not to say I think it should be moved or not. I'm not sure where I fall on that, but I certainly understand the argument for it. Um, but my point more is just that, you know, it's not something that we should have to consider. No one should have to consider the response to standing up for yourself. But it's just interesting that that's where he went, because it's not something that even occurred to me in this case. I think what you're thinking of when you're thinking about loud activist type Jewish people is the louder side of the Jewish community. There are plenty of people in the Jewish community who do not want to go to these protests, who don't want to make a fuss and who do just want to go about their business. You know, we came to this country, we just want to assimilate. I think the values overlap, but the reason you don't know about those people is because they're quiet. That's right? true. Yeah, the loud minority will always be the more visible one. So at the end of the day, uh, Ben, um, is there a, a common ground here? Is there some sort of thing that people can agree on moving moving forward, if not moving the date? Well, yeah. So so as we were talking about before, a lot of the a lot of the um, debate is not only on the uh, election date that needs to be moved, but also on the fact that because a lot of the compromise that people are mentioning is what about the advanced polling dates that Jews have options to? Um, and the argument there is that those actually fall on some dates. Also, I think it's Sukkot and Shabbat that that a few of them fall on. So so the numbers of of hours that Jews will have to to actually make decisions in advance would actually be significantly reduced either way. So I, I actually spoke to one guy who was talking about um, how the compromise is, regardless of anything to do with, um, you know, stepping forward or not, and the debate around that is that how about we just work with the advanced polling dates and try and get those those moved instead of instead of messing with the actual federal election date of October 21st. They should change the dates of the advanced polling to dates that can accommodate not be on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. If the actual election date is on a Chag, then the other date should not be on a Chag. So at least we're given an option. So there's no question about it. It's not even, I don't, I agree with my colleague that we should not necessarily have to change the election date because it could open a bag of worms. But they should definitely change the pre-election date or the, um, to be more accommodating. Be more accommodating. I think that's also what B'nai Brit has been advocating for. Uh, I saw their CEO wrote um, an op-ed in the Star, the Toronto Star, a few weeks ago, advocating for that position. It does seem like a reasonable alternative, but at this point, I'm not sure that Elections Canada would. It would seem like it would be a mark of defeat for Elections Canada to to even bother, since they're not being really coerced to. Um, I don't know. Just between the two of you guys, w- what do you think is actually going to happen here? I think I think they'll I think they'll end up changing the the election date I think just because like you know I mean he refused originally and the judge just ruled that he reconsider um, I think at the very least that that he will change his mind but then ultimately he goes towards cabinet and that's that's a whole other ball go- ball game that that's going to be in their court so I, I think that at the very least that the chief electoral officer is gonna is gonna make a change here just because I mean of the drama of the court case and everything it would be a little ridiculous to within just a few days you know go ahead on the same decision he made before. I actually totally disagree with you. I think it's it's all the more likely that he's just gonna say you know what if I ignore this it will blow over and in a week they just won't have a choice <laughs> and this will go away. Because again something that we didn't talk about is this is not the first time this has happened. I don't know the last time it happened federally but provincially it happened. 
in Ontario, uh, 2007. And in that instance, uh, Elections Ontario did actually move the date, which was very nice of them, <laughs> I think. And fast forward uh, almost a decade, Quebec last year, 2018, mm. Quebec had an election, also fell on Shmini Atzeret. All these elections are falling on Shmini Atzeret. Quebec, obviously, did not... <laughs> if you've been following this, I think... If you've been following Canadian Jewish News, you know the answer, obviously. But Quebec did not move the election date, and voter turnout in, in very Jewish writings plummeted. Yeah, it diminished. Like, from from 72 to 44%, something in that in that range. Wow. Um, part of the reason for it was because the advanced polling stations were understaffed, because they didn't accommodate for, oh, you know what, there might be a few thousand more people showing up on this one particular day. Uh, and also just other people just couldn't make it out on the one day they had available to them, and they couldn't make it out for any other day because of holidays. So so we have interesting precedents on, on a provincial scale with both outcomes clearly in front of us. However, I don't the, the information was already presented to Elections Canada. The guy didn't do it. I'd be shocked if he did. I think he just thinks it'll blow over. I mean, I mean, on a national scale, like it's 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 easy to compare to provincial. But I mean, a lot of the arguments against moving it was that there's just so much administrative uh, logistics involved in actually changing that date, even when it comes to like the availability of polling stations on different dates. And that's that's where you can argue that it might actually not be changed because it's just nationwide to go ahead and and go into like logistic chaos like that might might be a little tough. Also that. Alex, do you have a thought on this? Well, I'm just still stuck on the Quebec thing. Like, that's just denying a lot of people with the fundamental democratic right, which is vote, or at least, you know, that's the way we do it is through voting. And look what happened in Quebec. Well, I mean, that's part of it. But but it's more just like I, I didn't realize that it, that it affected. That's just thousands and thousands of people who, who weren't able to, to vote because – you know, I, I think it's kind of clarifying for me because it's not so important that people, in my opinion now, even just hearing that, have to vote on a certain day as long as there are, like, reasonable accommodations made to make sure they have a way to vote. Because it's the, it's the right to vote that's the important part, not the right to vote on a specific day. So that actually kind of clarified it for me. I mean, it's going to come up probably every few elections, yeah. undoubtedly, because it, elections in Canada always happen third Monday in October. And it's going to be Shmini Atzeret some days. Like, there was an article in the National Post that came out uh, by an uh, an editor named Marnie Supkoff. She argued in an article headlined, Sorry, Orthodox Jews, Elections Canada should keep our voting day where it is. Uh, she was arguing that there, there's, it's a totally arbitrary date. It may be inconvenient. And that sucks. Full stop. Um, Alex, I know this article... <laughs> You're grinning with I'm already making a fit, grinning yeah. with anticipation. I know That's this article. I'd say grimacing you off. more. Um, oh, that was a grimace. I don't know. It was, was a very I mean, happy. It, it was a grin, but it wasn't a happy <laughs> grin. It was more like I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't even. I mean, I, when I read it, I didn't even necessarily disagree with her point. I appreciate the part where she's saying, like, right now it's an unbiased system. She called it neutral, random in the sense that. There's no other factors aside from the third Monday of every October and determining when the date is. And now we're introducing bias and intervention into the system and, you know, can of worms argument and all that, which I think is a good argument. What really pissed me off is she's not an orthodox person and she is really dismissive of orthodox people in the article. She's like, you haven't heard of Shemini Yetzirah, you Gentiles, don't worry. I went to Jewish day school. I didn't know what it is either. 
Well, that's on you. You should know what it is if you went to Jewish day school. I went to J- Jewish day school. We we talked about it all the time. Like, it is a holiday you know that we learned is? about. Wait. <laughs> I also went to Jewish day school and have never heard of it before this year. Well, that's, I don't know. You went to, <laughs> you went before us. Maybe it's like, I'd forget about it in the next five years before, <laughs> if this hadn't come up. I don't know. I don't know. I, I definitely knew what it you was. You can use the five-year difference between us. But <laughs> maybe you just weren't I, Maybe you weren't paying attention, but I didn't want to say that. <laughs> the, ho- the holiday is after your time. But it, it's, it's, mo- it's modern orthodox. It's not yeah. that she has to hear about it. It's more that like it's real for a lot of people. And, and I really, really don't like that she's using the as a Jew card for something that doesn't affect her as a Jew. Not- I, will, I will actually counter that, though, because I, I got to say... As a Jew, yeah. honestly, a lot of people I know don't know what the holiday is and haven't heard of it. Jewish people. I, I don't think it's I, – I actually reject your premise that it's universally known among Jews. I think there are a lot of reform or non-religious Jews, even who had bar mitzvahs, even who went to Jewish camp, Jewish school, etc., who don't actually know what it is. Um, there was actually even – because I was doing a bit of research into this as well. There was an article written for a Jewish mother's magazine called Kveller, and the article was called – in which I find out what Shmini Atzeret actually is – and the whole point was she had no idea what this holiday was really for. She knew it existed. I guess it's different from what you're saying, which is never having heard of it at all. But I think the premise is there's still a tremendous amount of ambiguity around this holiday that just falls after all the other holidays you know about, right? You know about Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and then, ugh, there's another one? And people just don't know what it's about because it, it is vague by I'll, definition. I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm not really crazy about that whole argument of, of whether or not you know about it. I just think that, like, people lobbying are lobbying for, for their rights, not for anyone else's or anyone else's beliefs. And and so, you know, I mean, you can almost... I'm not saying I'm not saying you shouldn't move it because we haven't heard of what it... Or, mm-hmm. or because you don't know what it means. But it, se- mean it seems like almost the argument is, like, whether or not how mainstream is this holiday... That, that, you know, a federal government should go ahead and move an election for it. But when it comes down to it, it's, it's you know, it's a certain group that practices it completely more than another sector of the religion. And and you have to take their rights ultimately into consideration and not wonder whether or not a vaster majority of Jews are, are in favor. Yeah, I didn't mean to imply that uh, she's in the wrong for not hearing of it. I know there are lots of people who haven't heard about it, about it but... I don't know. It's just the way that way, she's... way to Jew shame me. <laughs> no, but it's more. I mean, I know that lots of people don't know what it is, but it's more the way it seemed to me that she was trying to invalidate it. Um, because I, I don't think that non-Orthodox Jews should speak for Orthodox Jews. There are probably Orthodox Jews who are okay with the election not moving too, and and uh, but I just don't really think she has much of a voice here if she doesn't observe the holiday. I don't think that's that's what I'm saying. I, yeah, I agree 100. Yeah, what, what Ben yeah. was saying. I mean, I think like. We're much more sim- like secular Jews are much more similar to the Gentiles of the population than to the observant Jews in, in most in senses. Way. I think the one thing we can all yeah we can all at least agree that the specific level of importance of the holiday not is is beside the point and it is the fundamental right. Well, uh, we can maybe wrap this up just by saying if you want to read more about this, we have plenty of coverage at the Canadian Jewish News website at cjnews.com and where you can read uh, Ben's interview with all these uh, people in print as well. Ben, you're between the ages of 18 and 29, right? I am. Have you heard of the CJN Prize? I've not. Uh, well, that's okay. I'm going to tell you about it right now. The CJN Prize is an essay writing competition open to Canadians between the ages of 18 and 29 years old. They're looking for essays written in English between 500 and 1,000 words, and it just has to be an original work on a Jewish theme of your choice. Ben, I don't think you're eligible because... Y- 
you're here right now and you work here, so I think it would be a conflict of interest. But if uh, if you were going to submit to this, being a, a, a an appropriately aged young Jewish Canadian, what would you write about? Oh, I'd absolutely write about uh, federal elections and the how <laughs> should you change it based on Jewish holidays and and how does it just keep you up at night, Ben. <laughs> yeah, it does. Alex, you're also between the ages of 18 and 29, if I'm not mistaken. You are not. Have Have you ever submitted to this one? To the CJN Prize? Yeah, I did a few years ago. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. Um, what did you write about? Well, it was called Dispelling the Myth of the Self-Hating Jew <laughs> Towards oh. a Unified Jewish Community or something to that effect. Um, I wrote it because I had some friends who are more left-wing and more right-wing. And, and so, you know, some of the friends disagreed with each other and would say, call each other names such as one of them referred so one of my more right-wing friends referred to one of more my one of my more left-wing friends as a self-hating jew should i start this again the way you're looking at me it's just like no this is just a much more complex answer than i predicted <laughs> yeah no it was just like how we need to be more respectful of people who disagree with us and not doubt their judaism just because of um you know the way they choose to, to identify with it and and there are so like many for other example ways. if they've never heard of shmini and before yeah okay i, was, I, was I honestly kind of reminds me of Marjorie i'll be Arthur. honest my <laughs> Should my have waited first, a few years till it came out to get imagine did, it. Did 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 this article place in the CJN Prize? No, they didn't like do anything with it. I think uh, I don't know why. I thought it was really good. We ended up publishing it in the Dal Gazette when I worked there the oh, other right. year. But yeah. Well, I'm sorry that the CJN Prize did not get awarded to you. However, the prize of full time employment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's a good point. <laughs> worth, worth far more than the prize uh, that they're offering did get awarded to you. So congratulations for that, Alex. I will say on that note. First prize gets $1,800 for this essay writing contest, which is like, that's a legit prize. Second prize gets 900 After that, it's 630 270 and 180 That's five prizes. That's five cash prizes for writing an essay if you're between the ages of 18 and 29. That's like, that's pretty good ROI, I would say. That's pretty good return on investment. If I were eligible, I would do it. You can submit your essay or any questions you have to the CJN Prize at the CJN.ca. The deadline for this uh, is September 6th. That's a Friday. So get cracking on those essays and submit soon. This week on Do Jews Really Need to Worry About This? We're asking, do Jews really need to worry about, and this is pretty specific, People walking around neighborhoods with high Jewish concentrations waving Palestinian flags. Okay, I don't think it's... Re- what, I, what happened... I, Alex, you wrote a, a story I in did, the CJN yeah. this past week I about did. this exact same thing that happened. There was a fellow uh, waving a large Palestinian flag in a park in a Jewish neighborhood. It wasn't like an organized protest or anything. He's just an activist. And he was allegedly stopping and harassing people who were just walking by if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? So this is, so, okay, so he actually is part of an organization called Canadian Defenders for Human Rights. I reached out to them. They didn't want to comment, so I can't tell you what they would have said. I will say on the video they published, which is the one I wrote about, they said the person came up to them and started the confrontation, but B'nai Brit said that in other similar instances they got complaints of, they were told that the person approached them. Okay, so you you mentioned a video just now. Part yeah. of what's uh, what you wrote about is that this video went 
I'm not going to say viral, but it got a few hundred, maybe a few thousand views, uh, uh, lots of comments, etc. Sparked a lot of controversy online. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're just going to play a quick uh, clip from that video right now, so you can, uh, listeners, you can get a sense of what we're talking about. What is what is that on your hat? What does it say? Hebrew. What does it say? I know it's Hebrew. I like Hebrew. I have I have rabbis that are my best friends that we stand against Israel, against the Zionist state. It's true. It's huh? true. Can you read any Hebrew? No, I can't, but I'm asking you. That's why. It I says, am. it says police. It's, it's the police. IDF, Israeli IDF checkpoint police. Oh my God. You used to work with them? I used to do that. That's criminal activity. Wait, wait. Did you feel good about that? Did you think Moses would accept that, sir? Do you think that, that Jacob and his 12 tribes would accept this? Yeah, a nice question. Aren't, you guess, aren't those, listen, those prophets, I want to ask you something. Those, those prophets that came to bring peace and love and harmony and respect of other people. You think that, that Moses told people evicted them and kicked them out and told them this is not your land, we're coming here to take over? Do you think, do you honestly think, principally wise, that, that Moses would accept this? Or you just want to make you just want to have a homeland and you... you do you believe that you can achieve what you need to buy, killing. So Alex, that full video is six minutes. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there anything, can, can you give a quick sort of summary of the whole thing? Okay, I'll do my best. Basically, um, there's a man holding a Palestinian flag. Uh, there's a woman recording him, who you can't see, but you can hear every once in a while with interjections. Uh, and there's another man who comes up and he has a hat on with uh, apparently Israeli, uh, the IDF border police logo on it. Um, and basically they, they try to talk to each other about um, the, the man holding the Palestinian flag is not Palestinian, but he is advocating for their rights and he's trying to ask the man how he can, in the hat, how he could support such an organization. And the man, you know, at one point says, my wife was killed in a terrorist attack. They killed 51 people in Haifa. What would you do in my situation? And, and so it just goes kind of like back and forth like that. The man said, uh, he denounces all Arabs who bow to the Zionist entity or something along those lines. The man with the Palestinian flag, clearly not the man in the IDF hat. Yeah. I think he, he did also after that comment, which was which was quite out of left field, quite harrowing when, when the man in the IDF hat uh, mentioned his, his dead wife. Yeah. Um, I think the, the Palestinian pro supporter did did denounce in some way violence and, and, and death as a means to an end. In, insofar as there was any back and forth conversation going on that was a moment perhaps of it uh the thing that i think w we wanted to chat about just more broadly if do jews need to worry about this is do jews need to worry about r random people who are ideologically opposed to you um and engaging with them right it, yeah it's it's difficult it, it, frankly what's what's sort of interesting about the video is that it's somewhat rare instance of two people without huge backdrops of, of mob protests or, or, or politics or, or anything, just two people who met in a park who are having this argument. It's a somewhat stripped down version of everything that you see every day on Twitter, uh, uh, in, in the media, etc. Uh, and, and they don't, unfortunately, these two men are not particularly good ambassadors for the cause, either one of them, I'm, I'm sorry to say. Uh, they both just, it's, it's a big round robin of whataboutism. So unfortunately, it, it doesn't really take off in the way it should. But uh, on the surface, I see it as almost almost something that, that you can hope for is like instead of just arguing on Twitter where there's no ramifications, actually looking somebody in the eye and disagreeing with them and seeing what can come of that in a productive way. This video is not that. However, <laughs> my stance my stance is still that Jews do not need to worry about this sort of thing because it it, it, it should and could 
be something to be embraced. Yeah, I mean, the man in, in the IDF had at least, um, I do want to give him credit for, yes, he did all the whataboutisms, but he did make himself a little vulnerable and put like, you know, made it personal, which I think is, is fair to say, like, you know, you're getting mad at me for this, but consider my situation. This is what I'm telling what I, this is what I'm telling you about myself. And what would you do in my situation? And then when the guy didn't really respond to that, the guy with the flag, then the guy with the hat left. Which I think at that point, like, I'm not saying he was, like, trying really hard to listen and and absorb what the other man was saying. But at least, um, you know, when he realized the other person wasn't even going to consider that part, there was, he realized there was no way that it was, either of them were really going to engage in a, in a conversation with each other as opposed to just... That's true. Going back and forth. Well, I mean, maybe maybe this kind of um, denotes what what my underlying opinion on this is already. This question, but what what exactly is it that Jews would have to worry? Like, why would they have to worry about? If you're walking down the street and you see a, somebody waving a large Palestinian flag, if you're walking down the street in in North Toronto, mm-hmm. and you see somebody waving that flag and they have cameras and stuff, I guarantee you, some people would worry about that. Just just intrinsically, just a gut reaction. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be necessarily like a, a logical reason fear, but some people are going to say, oh, what's what's this person doing here? What's he up to? Why is he in my neighborhood? As, as like a violent implication or? Violent or, or conspiratorial or anything. I mean, I remember way back on this podcast, I think episode two, we had Ella on. Do you remember we were talking about the, uh, the postal union strike? It was um, the Canadian Postal Workers mm-hmm. Association took a, a pro-Palestinian stance for some reason. And well, not that they were just pro-Palestinian. I think they were like pro-BDS and stuff. Correct. That's right. It was pro- yeah, sorry. Pro-BDS. I don't want to conflate no, right. pro- But yeah. the, the only reason I bring it up is because I remember one thing Ella said very specifically. Um, and she said, you're, you're going to come into my neighborhood in Thornhill because the office was near her, her street. She said, you're going to come to where I am and protest? Absolutely not. No. That's why she went to counter protest, right? Like there's there's an attitude of protectionism, maybe invasion of or at safety, right? I mean, one of the reasons that that Jewish communities stick together, and this is uh, macrocosmically in Israel, but also microcosmically in in Thornhill, they stick together because it's safe, because you know people and you know there's a lot of people like you. So I I believe that some people would worry about this. However, I'm saying you don't have to. So it's more the idea of them coming into our neighborhood kind of thing that, that would spark worry about it. But you're saying that it would, what if it was just in the downtown core and there was just... I mean, the downtown like, core, you get like people screaming about Jesus on every other street corner. So I'm not... And, and people, you know, saying Falun Dafa is good. Like, I'm not too worried about downtown. Part of what the guy's rant in the video, though, with the flag is like, he's like, you know, just because there are a lot of Jews here, it's not a Jewish neighborhood solely. And, and like, I, you know... This is where it veered into like anti-Semitic tropes when he's like, you're trying to take over the neighborhood and all that. But yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think, yeah, I know you were playing devil's advocate because you already said you don't think you have to worry about it. But I think if your gut reaction when you see a Palestinian flag is to feel offended or attacked or something like that, that's something that you need to take responsibility for because, you know, they are a people with a national identity and that's their symbol of their national identity. And we can't, we don't want to assume that all of them hate Israel or hate Jews. I mean... Even if that's all the more reason to actually go up and, and try to engage with them and maybe talk to yeah. them, it, futile as it may seem. And, and, and I think that's where I was coming from with my question of, I, I guess the gist of my question is, is maybe worry is too strong of a word. I also, um, I want, I was going to compare it to, you know, when the um, Star of David was not led into some pride marches and things like that, because, you know, people had connotations with it who, uh, with the Israeli flag who maybe suffered at the hands of some Israeli actions. Um, and I think that was also wrong because 
it's i mean that march didn't allow any flags of sovereign nations as far as i know so it's fine if you're not letting the flag in but the star of david is not the israeli flag and it's not the jewish person's responsibility to show you why it's okay it's like you need to understand that like this is our part of our identity and it's the same for us we need to understand that like the palestinian flag is a legitimate symbol for a, a people and um and if we feel fear or or um offense or other things like that like there's there's responsibility that we have and work that we have to do to to ask why we feel that and, and some people might say well you know you, you're being naive here because look at how they how you know the person in the video treated us but that man i don't know i, I just think like if if you're offended by it on site that's that's something you have to work on i'll, I'll just leave it at that so uh in a sort of neat summary insofar as we can provide one you don't think jews should worry about it no <laughs> <laughs> and you think worry is too too strong of a word ben well well i just think that you know i mean the fact that they're coming into your neighborhood i think is more of just a disrespect uh i would say uh but i mean to be honest if they're going to go and protest that like what neighborhood would they come into obviously yeah. it would be the jewish one right so you can't really you can't like, necessarily blame them i i think that i think that it's more i think that it's going to happen and i think that it's that it's that it's allowed to happen and it's natural for it to happen because because there's people who have those views and if they're going to protest somewhere you know that's the place where they're going to go is where people are going to you know be relevant and are going to listen to them um but ultimately i think it's it's up to our reaction in terms of you know, dealing with that and you got to deal with it respectfully. And as long as it doesn't get violent, then, you know, it's part of part of the deal for us. Yeah. It reminds me of, of the joke. It's like, I, I can sell you this like elephant repelling device. It'll stop all the elephants stampeding in your neighborhood. And then the guy's like, there aren't any elephants stampeding in my neighborhood. He's like, yeah, it's, that's because it's working. And it's the same kind of thing. Like <laughs> why, like what you said, go protest mm-hmm. where you're not going to find the people who you want to engage with. Yeah. Sorry, in that metaphor, what's the elephant repelling device? Uh, I screwed up the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot how it went in the middle of it, and it, st- it didn't make any sense. It made sense in my head. I just I disagreed out of respect. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I swear uh, it made sense before I started talking. Not really. Before I <laughs> this is not well, my best showing, guys. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Canadian Jewish Schmooze. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, this episode was hosted by myself, Michael Freeman, and Alex Rose over here. We'd like to thank uh, Ben Barak? Barak. Barak. Yes. Like Obama. Okay. Like Obama. Thanks ben. for having me. And uh, you can read more of Ben's writing at the Canadian Jewish News website, cjnews.com. You can also find us on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash cjnpodcasts. You can get all the podcast updates that you could possibly want from us. The show is edited and produced by me, and our intro music is by Vanya Zhuk, while our outro music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>